Welcome to the fourth episode of the Nerd Chatter Podcast, where last week we did a catch-up discussion on DC. Uh, this week we're going to actually talk about the Wizarding World, the Harry Potter films, Fantastic Beasts, and all that good stuff. And I'm joined today by my good friend, Garrett. How are you? Hey, good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. Uh, we just did your sorting online, huh? How'd that turn out? Oh, it went well. I, I was not expecting to get Ravenclaw, but my Patronus is a St. Bernard, so yeah. it's awesome. I'm a dog guy, so. Jelly. And then what's your... Yeah, uh, Mr. Rabbit. And you had, what, like English Oak or something? Yeah, English Oak with a <laughs> unicorn core. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a Gryffindor with a brown hair and Lurchwood. But we'll discuss a little bit more of that here in a bit. I like to start off the shows by sharing uh, some of the free games that we come across uh, during the week. Uh, this week we have Ancient Enemy, and that's free on Epic Game Store until July 14th. It's like an indie card game. Uh, and you also have Killing Floor 2 uh, back up for free on the Epic Game Store until July 14th as well. And that's, I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's a first-person shooter. I think it's like a wave-based survival game. But yeah, that's pretty much it for this week, unfortunately. I just want to put in a plug. Uh, Thor Love and Thunder just came out. Mm-hmm. Go see it. Oh yeah, you saw that, huh? I didn't get an opportunity. I did. Yeah, you uh, you liked it. It's got a, it's got a unique style to it. I have to get around to seeing sure. it one way or the other. Um, but yeah, let's jump right into the Wizarding World. Where do you want to start? Books. Want to talk about the books. Let's talk books. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so full, full disclosure first and foremost for me is that I listened to the audiobooks. I did not read the books, and also I, uh, well, let's let's discuss where you're at. You know, with with just the you know the whole lore of it all i mean me i wasn't into it when i was younger i picked it up later um i'd say probably like early 20s uh, and i didn't partake when they were releasing the movies originally even though it was kind of within my wheelhouse and and age demographic uh, i never got into it and then eventually saw the films listened to the audiobook and then at one point listened to the audiobook over and over and over again uh, while at work and and really enjoyed it and and kind of hype for just anything that comes out in regards to the wizarding world and stuff. So uh, what about you? Um, I started off by the books. My grandma got us the first two books when they got released. Actually it was the first three books. Cause um, the first two books were released in June of 1999. Then the third one was September of 1999, at least in the U S the, the UK release was a little bit different. Um, so anyway, she got us all three books, uh, for Christmas of 1999. Um, I remember opening them and not knowing what they were or anything. And I was like, oh, this is a lame gift. Right. And, uh, I didn't read them. I, I, I have dyslexia, so it was kind of hard to, to read for a while. And it took a while for me to click, but once I was able to get into reading, I think it was in the fourth grade time frame. um, the first books I read were the Harry Potter books. I, I literally went through all of the Harry Potter books my fourth grade year um, that had been released to that point, which is, I think, Goblet of Fire, for sure. It was out. Order of the Phoenix hadn't come out yet. So, um, I mean, that's a pretty beefy read for fourth grade, you know. Yeah. It's like, impressive having, you know, dyslexia. I went from a kindergarten grade reading level to, like, a seventh or eighth grade reading level in a matter of months. Mm. Um, I was, I was able to figure out why I, I wasn't able to, to like read and comprehend. And it was just like a snap of the finger, like light switch, turn on, everything went go for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I went to a, like a specialist every couple of days at school. I think her name, 
was Ann Fuller. She was great, and she, I mean, she helped me learn how to read and get over um, my dyslexia. I still struggle with it every once in a while, but yeah. nowhere near as bad as when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, Harry Potter was the first book she read. Yeah, like I had read like kindergarten grade books, you know, um, like Captain Underpants and uh, the Magic Tree House, I think it was. But I, I, I didn't get into anything else um, yeah, just because, books. yeah, I, I, I couldn't I couldn't read them. They were just, you know, any big word I would like Sorcerer, for instance, like with, you know, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. There was no way I could read that and understand what it was. Yeah. So my fourth grade year, which is, I think, 2001, I, I'm actually I know for a fact it was 2001 is when. I went through all of them. So the Goblet of Fire was released in July of 2000. So all four of the, or the first four books were out when I went through them. And my teacher who like seen me struggle at the very beginning of the year to at the end of the year, like me finishing Goblet of Fire, she was like flabbergasted completely. Like what happened to this kid? Cause I, my reading comprehension just went through the roof. Yeah. Were, you, cool. were you using those books as kind of like a, a means of getting through it or was it just kind of like you reached a point where that was like your first goal was to like finish one of those books i just heard people talking about it a lot of other kids um had like had their parents read it to them or their siblings read it to them so yeah like they talked about it and my my siblings all had read them and they talked about how good books they were and how much i would like it so you know i I started reading the Sorcerer's Stone and I, I, I literally couldn't put them down that year. Yeah. Me, I'm, I mean, I was an uncultured swine as a child. I didn't read books. <laughs> I, uh, I watched cartoons and in 99, I was watching a lot of WWF, you know, SmackDown and raw and, you know, going to school and talking about that. And 99, 2000 was when counter-strike came out. So I was like, boop, like just online gaming. That's where my life was. So I, I I missed the beat with the with the Harry Potter stuff because when two thousand one I was starting high school, so like yeah. you know it's it, I, I wasn't worrying about that anymore. I wish I got into it, but to be honest, the the way that I consumed it is just as gratifying to me. To be honest, like I I really appreciate the the world building and and just the overall premise of of what's going on here. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, damn, I wish I had that idea, but it came you know so so long ago, but there's just so much like rich content there to like tap into, uh, which we'll get into which yeah. is what the first movie or the first uh, book. I'm sorry. The first book is uh, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone or the Sorcerer's Stone here in America. Right. Yeah. Um, that came out. Oh, in 2001. So, yeah, I was definitely starting yeah. high school. That's why I missed it. I thought it was 99, but no, I was still still watching wwf <laughs> and still still gaming for sure is definitely knee deep in gaming by that point but um we'll start off with uh kind of going down the list here and we're not going to break them up from book to movie because to be honest they're fairly accurate you'd agree right yeah yeah i mean they're uh, a, i would say they're a faithful representation of yeah. what the books are what not you can do 100 percent accurate but faithful yeah so what we'll do is we'll talk about the 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 property itself right the book and, and the film so the sorcerer's stone yeah. uh, we'll discuss the the differences and things like that and then we'll just kind of move down the list uh, we don't want to make this too long you know uh, so the yeah. first one is harry potter and the sorcerer's stone so the philosopher's stone in, in europe if i'm not mistaken but uh, that film came out in in 2001 correct yeah and but, the the books originally came out in so the uk version 
was 1998. Mm. Then the U.S. version for um, it was released in 1999. Right. So, I mean, you know, I mean, in, in terms of in terms of popularity, I mean, you're looking at like as old as Pokemon, essentially, right? I think that came out in, like, 97. Yeah. Um, so About. By this point, it's not a new property, you know? it's It's been pretty established, so that's why we're kind of giving it some attention. Um, but uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, uh, I haven't read the books specifically. I, I listened to the audiobooks many times, and I've seen the movies uh, quite a few times. There's a scene in the, the, the books where the Dursleys go to a hotel to get away which was omitted from the film. Um, so they could go straight to the hut on the island um, where... Oh, yeah. The, yeah, where, I mean, Hagrid shows up and uh, kicks some butt. Is <laughs> yeah. a Dudley a tale, you know, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so what, um, what we'll do is we'll just combine the, the books and the, and, the, and the movies just so that we, can, yeah. we don't have to jump back and forth. But uh, we'll talk about comparisons and differences and things like that. But... Yeah, the differences that were in the first book, I mean, let's be honest, we understand why they do it, because mm. the books are, I don't know, what, 14 plus hours or something like that? Well, I, I mean, how just long looking it is. like the, I mean, the first book, I think, is the shortest. I mean, it's like a 309-page book. The second book's 349, Yeah, 345. In terms of audio, it's, it's over ten hours for these for these stories that they have to compress into a two hour to three hour film, you know. So, um, yeah. Then you also have to judge it based on that, you know. What did they choose to leave in and 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 take out um, the importance of what they removed and did it have an effect on on the story overall yeah. that type of thing? But um, that's my thing with them and the comparisons to the book is that listening to the book, I don't get frustrated. Uh, thinking that oh you know they should have let this in they should have let that out you know it's just yeah. I, I I appreciate the 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 detail that they took for for picking and choosing the topics to to kind of push through in the film. Um, but yeah, exactly. These are these are very faithful representations of the book. This is going to be kind of random, but have you ever seen um, the Da Vinci Code series? So there's Da Vinci Code, Angels and Demons, and the, I mean there's a couple other uh, novels. I don't think that are movies yet. Have you seen those? I've seen the movies, um, and yeah, Dan Brown was a thing back in like 2005 that was yeah. very popular. I was college kid age, so yeah, I was, you know, <laughs> I was <Yeah>. aware. <laughs> uh, interesting movies, you know, and that's what, you know, his stuff definitely caused all that hysteria over the uh, the Knights Templar and hmm. um, the uh, Freemasons and, and that type of thing, but yeah. I'm yeah, aware. so... The second uh, book is vastly different from the movie. There's like key people that are completely changed. Mm. There's like, you know, critical story elements that they just completely change or remove altogether where it feels like a different story, mm -hmm. which is definitely not the case with Harry Potter. So it, it, um, but it, it but has at least the same Angels feel and Demons and, had Ewan McGregor. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. You McGregor. He was in Tom there. Hanks, you know, that's pretty good. Oh, it was that. I'm not, I'm not bagging on the movie. It, <laughs> like in the people in the movie, it's whoever did the screenplay for that they movie did a, a really poopy job. Yeah, they uh, they definitely cut a lot. And I mean, I like those films. I like you know, I liked all that. But you look at a at a Dan Dan Brown book, and it's like, yeah, that's not a two and a half hour movie. <laughs> for well, sure. I'm a, the first. 
Da Vinci Code book and the, the actual Da Vinci Code movie, they, they are very, it's a faithful representation. The yeah. second one isn't. It's it's just completely different. While all of the Harry Potter books, they all stay like within the realm of faithfulness, like extreme faithfulness of the books. Yeah, there's you know little scenes taken out here and there, changed for pacing and and for storytelling reasons, but it's not like we're missing key elements, you know, you, you still get the world building from what you're given yeah. in the films. And uh, like yeah. I said, I mean, I'm, I'm thoroughly appreciative of, of the world building that takes place in the first film. And um, I don't think I got as spooky a vibe from Voldemort in the first film, especially, I just think it's the CGI that was involved with establishing that character. And uh, given, I mean, that, that is how that character is presented in the books, you know, inhabiting somebody's uh, body uh, or yeah. the back of their head, you know, but with Voldemort in the first book, you know, he's like the bad guy, you know, you know who and all of that type of stuff, but it's not, it's not overly apparent how spooky and truly like, you know, how much of a bad guy he is, you know? Yeah. I mean, the world definitely matured over time and, and that's the oh, 100%. thing with, with the, the later books, like the Deathly Hollows and stuff. It's pretty dark. Um, I wouldn't say there's a dramatic difference in, in the collateral damage from the book to the film, but there's a little more description in regards to what happens to some of the students and in, in during that fight and, and certain things, you know, but it's, uh, it's pretty graphic, but that's, that, I think that's where the, the warm and fuzzy feeling from that first film comes from, where it's like, you still get that mysticism of the world, mm-hmm. but at the same time you get this, uh, just the foundation of, of how you're supposed to feel and that, that childlike representation of this world having been introduced to it, you know? Uh, and then later yeah. you're kind of introduced to the realism of, of the realistic aspect of this world and, and how dark it is. Well, I mean, the, the books mature is like, you know, the, our main characters mature as well. So that they face more serious things as they age and get closer to graduating Hogwarts and everything. And I mean, logically a, a majority of the audience, especially with the books and the movies were also aging up with it. It's not like, you know, you throw in a, you know, a fourth grader, like when I was initially got into it, you don't throw a fourth grader right into Deathly Hollows, And it's just like, you don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking at this, this wiki. I mean, we might as well just read off these, these short synopsis for these films for, uh, I mean, there might be people that haven't, you know, even seen or, or read these books and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, might need a little rundown. So Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, also uh, the Sorcerer's Stone here in America, uh, Harry Potter is an orphan boy brought up by his unkind muggle, non-magical, aunt and uncle. At the age of 11, half-giant Rubius Hagrid informs him that he is actually a wizard and that his parents were murdered by an evil wizard named Lord Voldemort. Voldemort also attempted to kill one-year-old Harry on the same night, but his killing curse mysteriously rebounded and reduced him to a weak and helpless form. Harry became extremely famous in the wizarding world as a result. Harry begins his first year at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry and learns about magic. During the year, Harry and his friends Ron Weasley and Hermione Granger become entangled in the mystery of the Philosopher's Stone, which is being kept within the school. And that came out in 2001 on film. And you said, what, 98 in book form? Uh, the UK version was 98, yeah. Mm, so 99 for America. I mean, you're, you're talking about a really quick adaptation in terms of film, you know? Um, well, yeah, I mean, just to... 
as a way of talking about it. Like the book was released. The first book was released in July of 1998. And, and that was in the UK. Like I said, in October of 1998, Warner brothers had purchased the film rights already for the first mm. four novels to, from JK Rowling for, uh, it's not known exactly how much, but seven figures of some sort thinking it was a good Warner idea. Bro- oh yeah. And I mean, um, JK Rowling had very specific thoughts and wishes about the films mm-hmm. and when they drafted that contract. So I think that's probably why the books are so faithful. It's because JK Rowling was persistent on that. Yeah. Um, not proving very useful in the fantastic B series, to be honest, her involvement is, I mean, I think she tried to take the reins a little bit more, but she is certainly not yeah. a screenwriter. Um, I mean, she can she can really build a world, but when you're left with you know two hours of screen time, um, mm-hmm. you know she had tendency of wasting a good bit of that time in kind of pointless stuff. Um, but the first two films of the Fantastic B series, I didn't care for. But to be honest, the the Secrets of Dumbledore is not bad. I, I do recommend it, uh, especially if you've I'll seen the other ones. But yeah, yeah, check it yeah, out. Yeah, I've seen the I first seen the first two. She had a heavy involvement with uh, the theme park as well. Uh, Mm-hmm. over at universal down in florida and you know it looks impressive you know that she demanded yeah. a train she got a train so yeah, yeah. in regards to but, the, just the philosopher's stone in general I, I i just like how how it is that whimsical world building and then you know you get the kids they're in their kid plot you know doing their kid things but uh, for me personally i do enjoy that one the most um you know for the sake of of getting through these we should probably move on to chamber of secrets yeah <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Chamber of Secrets um, was initially released in book form in the UK in 1998. I think that what I'm looking at is wrong. I think the initial book release of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone was in 97 with uh, Chamber of Secrets in 98 as well. Then with the US version being in 1999, the US versions of the first two books share the same release date. I'll do, I'll do a little rundown. Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, released on film in 2002. Harry, Ron, and Hermione return to Hogwarts for their second year, which proves to be more challenging than the last. The Chamber of Secrets has been opened, leaving students and ghosts petrified by an unleashed monster. Harry must face up to claims that he is the heir of Salazar Slytherin, founder of the Chamber. Learn that he can speak Parseltongue and also discover the properties of a mysterious diary, only to find himself trapped within the chamber itself. Uh, so, I mean, this is the book where you get uh, Thomas Riddle, you know, you get you get that whole introduction of, of, of that storyline. See, that's that's the hard part, because this, this, this is like the juicy, the juicy part of, of Harry Potter in general that I like, you know, like the looking back and the development of these characters or the downfall of these characters. I love the history of like Salazar Slytherin and, and um, you know, all the, the founding members of Hogwarts. And, uh, you know, that's why I thought I would like uh, the Fantastic Beasts a lot more than I did because it's, it takes place in that time frame, you know. But um, the Chamber of Secrets, this is where you start getting the introduction into the past and what happened. And uh, you get the book and you get, uh, you know, these new characters that uh, you start getting more of a menacing feeling of the threat that's looming out there and, and what they're yeah. up for in these later books. You know, how'd you feel about Chamber of Secrets? Well, I mean, I feel like it, it started to show what Voldemort really was and is capable of. And I mean, with the, you know, the diary of Tom Riddle and like the S or, I mean, we learn later it's a Horcrux, but it's like 
that, you know, the Tom Riddle's essence was then there and affecting other students. And do you I think mean, that it was intended to be a Horcrux when it was originally written? Or do you think that it was like retroactively kind of adapted to fit the future Horcrux story that came later? That is a great question. Um, if I were to take a guess, I would probably say that J.K. Rowling had a vi- like had the initial inklings that it this could be used later on as something deeper, but it, so like it was kind of open ended in that aspect, but didn't know exactly what it was going to be, and that's why you know it wasn't named a Horcrux in that in that book. Yeah, I mean, what about you? I like the Horcrux idea just in general. Um, I mean, it's it's definitely menacing and how they go about establishing like how I know there's differences in the books when they're discussing, uh, you know, the when they're actually getting into the 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 thicket of the storyline of the Horcruxes mm-hmm. and actually going and looking for them and stuff like that. Uh, it gets a lot more deep, and I I kind of do see it as like maybe she just pulled it in, like it was. It might have just been her her inspiration for that book and the story. And then after the fact, when she was thinking about what to write next, she was taking what she had previously and kind of built building up on it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, um, I just think that idea in, in general is just interesting. And that's that goes, you know, to, to strengthen my point earlier, just the world building of, you know, it's how unique of an idea that is, you know, is in, intentionally mm-hmm. splitting your soul and imbuing it into uh, objects, you know, but also it being connected to uh, a heinous act, you know, uh, very interesting. Um, it, it fits the villain of, of the story and uh, it helps to, to, to kind of reinforce how evil, you know, he's actually willing to be. And uh, in the film, you don't get that really, you know, you get, you get it as a means of accessing the, the backstory of, of Tom Riddle and how he became lord voldemort for the most part kind of like a like a an entry into that character you don't you know you don't get the full conversion and 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 all that stuff but in the books do you remember if if he looked like a snake before i don't know if he looked like tom riddle or if he looked like voldemort when he went to go kill the family i forget i can't remember if it's even mentioned to be honest um i would assume that uh, it's he doesn't look like a you know the, the you know flat nose little slits things mm-hmm. until we see him in Goblet of Fire. Well, I remember uh, in the book know, in, uh, there was Dumbledore was talking about an instance where Tom Riddle came into Hogwarts in seek of of employment. He came there to get a uh, he wanted to be the Defense Against the Dark Arts uh, professor. And I forget if there was lines from Dumbledore in the book that commented on his change in appearance. I could have swore there was a reference to, to some type of change in his appearance. Okay, so I, I just Googled this up because um, I was it was interesting. So Voldemort's face and his general appearance changed as he started using, like, deploying the Horcruxes, if you will. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as he did that, he changed with each one. So when, I, I'm pretty sure when he used Nagini as a Horcrux, that's when his, oh. his essence changed. Because essentially he was joining his soul with Nagini's. Yeah stupid storyline i hate the nagini storyline <laughs> those fantastic Beast <laughs> movie. what is that Ugh, whatever anyways <laughs> um yeah 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 so there was uh, yeah yeah because i i could have swore that i do remember somebody commenting on his change of appearance like it was just kind of like 
he was he was taking on like slightly different traits you know in his in his face and stuff like that so uh yeah, yeah it's uh it's you know you don't you, know, you still don't get the the goblet of fire level introduction to voldemort as a character you know we'll get to that but i love the acting in that in that film that that character is so cool um but and here's a quote from the book just talking about voldemort's appearance so this was said by dumbledore yet it fitted Lord Voldemort had seemed to grow less human with the passing years mm-hmm. and the transformation he had undergone seemed to be uh, only explicable if his soul was mutilated beyond the realms of what we might call usual evil. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I just listen to that. That just sounds so like beautiful <laughs> to read. I know. That just sounds so Dumbledore. And there's, I remember there was a difference in the, in the movie, but you do, you get it. So when, when Hagrid storms in, and he's like, Harry's innocent, Harry's innocent. And he's flinging around this chicken <laughs> in the movie. Uh, <laughs> they don't explain any of that. Like, they don't explain why, because, like, in the books, uh, Jenny goes, kills the chickens, and uses the chicken blood to write on the wall. Uh, in the book, in the movie, it's just there's blood on the wall. Uh, and then you get Hagrid coming in uh, at the last bit of that entire kind of point of the movie. You know, you uh, you see him flinging around a, a dead chicken. Uh, me just seeing it, I was like, oh, he just he got caught in the middle middle of dinner. You know, he was cooking <laughs> and he came running, you know. But when once I once I listened to the books, I was like, oh, he was coming to show like where the blood came from, that it was from uh, that it was from a chicken. Because I think it, it was yeah. even explained in the books that it was so. But and that's just like a really curious thing because the movie almost seems like it was um, the caretaker's cat, like it it portrays it as the blood came from the cat, but the cat was still alive type of thing. Yes. It was kind of weird. I exactly. I remember that. It was like the, what the, that much blood came out of that cat. Good God. Um, I know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it definitely wasn't the case. Yeah, 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 yeah. The movie portrays it as such. I do like the, the you know, not making direct contact. Uh, it's the whole, I mean, it is literally like um, Medusa, you know, it's it's a Medusa oh, 100%. Uh, plot, you know, make eye contact, turn to stone. Um, but that, you know, in this case, it's like you get secondary eye contact and you turn to stone. If you make eye contact, you die. So nobody died. And I, I always thought that was kind of weak. You know how it's like everybody just happened to to skirt away, making direct eye contact with this creature, where that's kind of its power. You know, uh, what was the first one? It was the reflection. I think it was the reflection yeah. of the water, and then it was uh, through nearly head the snake, um, and then Hermione was she was using a mirror to look around corners, right? Yeah. Um, oh, and then the camera, looking through the lens of the camera. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the chances of that happening was kind of like, eh, you know, I'm not saying that I wish like anybody would like die in the book, but I think to sell it, you know, having, having some random character bite the dust would have been like even more like weighted, but we're talking about the second book in the series. Is this the book with, uh, with Lockhart? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's the book with Lockhart. Funny character. What do you think about that character? Um, I think it's kind of funny how... He's portrayed, you know, initially he's this hero, all of these different qualities and traits. He's done all these great things for the wizarding community. And I mean, we, we later learned that he's literally like wiping out the people's memories that actually did that and claiming them as his own. Yeah, he's a fraud. Kind of dark. Oh, 100% fraud. But it was just like, 
you know, kind of dark. I think it was a little bit darker in the books, too, if I'm not mistaken. They just kind of go into detail as to, like, when he did the Obliviate and and mm-hmm. how and that type of thing, you know. And I think the character, I mean, it, it, they always have that character that comes in, you know, after the first. I mean, you had Professor Quirrell, right? He's the, the, the oddball professor. And then you have Lockhart, oddball professor. Uh, and then Prisoner of Azkaban, you have Lupin, right? Oddball professor. I love um, Lupin, though. He's a great character. Yeah, he is very like uh, he's a cozy character for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, Goblet of Fire. You get um, Mooney, probably one of my favorite characters from the books. And so, I mean, even though that's not really the character that you're getting introduced to, but so I mean, Goblet of Fire. You have that, but you also have uh, Cedric, who I want to. He's not an oddball professor, but just your oddball character. Uh, mm-hmm. Disposable, obviously. <laughs> uh, Order of the Phoenix. Who would you say there would be your I mean, you get you get serious, Sirius? yeah, serious black. Well, I I don't I don't think I don't think he's the odd one. I I mean, he's the injection into the storyline because he dies in that yeah. film, right? Yeah. So I mean, sad. <laughs> so I mean, you know, he's the disposable character in that one. Uh, now, and I say disposable in the sense that they're introduced and they're removed. Uh, and going back in these films, each one of those characters was introduced and removed, uh, one way or the other. Mm-hmm. You know, Half Blood Prince. I think you get a little bit more of. Uh, you get Slughorn. Yeah, Slughorn's um, definitely the weird one there. Love that character. Oh, he's I love great. that character. <laughs> I love Slughorn so much. He's just he's he's disgruntled, but he's committed. I just the beautiful acting too in that in that character. Um, mm-hmm. Super fun that character. He's not removed, however, his importance to the story plot is removed. Um, I think the trade off there is is. Um, you know, you get Snape, you know, in this film, who is removed from the equation, essentially. So, I mean, it gets a little bit different in these in these later films because the storyline starts getting a lot more thick. Um, there's no need to have these these throwaway plots. I'm not going to say the throwaway plots is disrespectful, but you know what I mean. They're just they're yeah, they're, yeah. they're um, their motivation for the film, and then to progress the overall story throughout the other films, um, the characters are removed once they serve their purpose. Um, but this is where it does get juicy, you know, where you start getting those characters kind of uh, having more of an impact in their decisions. So we won't get into the Half-Blood Prince and the Deathly Hollows. We'll kind of go back to the Chamber of Secrets. But all in all, I think the Chamber of Secrets in general, just the, the premise of it is super cool. And that's why I like that film. You know, it kind of irks me how everybody turns on Harry so quickly, but uh, it is. Well, what it and is. I, th- I think the reason people do that is, you know, people in general like to turn on each other. And it makes Harry more relatable to just the average person. And you're not this wizard or anything crazy, but you know, you can relate to that part of Harry where he's, he's been through rejection. He's been through disappointment and all of these different things that are, are normal people emotions. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, um, you know, in this film too, you start getting more of a real story, you know, it's like, okay, well now that, that nice, haze that 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 radiant haze over this world is now starting to get tainted a little bit and and here's mm-hmm. the reality of it. it it actually is a little bit grimy and and old and and some some uh certain concepts are a bit outdated and inappropriate you know so uh you you start getting a little bit more of a of of, of a idea of where the story is going to go um but a lot of characters i do like from from this film in particular you know so uh, I do appreciate it. I'm not going to say it's like one of my favorites, but 
Uh, now going on to the next one, we got Prisoner of Azkaban, right? I'll read this little blurb here. Uh, this one film was released in 2004. What's the book on that one? It was September of 99. Oh, September of 99? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, Harry's third year sees the boy wizard, along with his friends, attending Hogwarts school once again. Professor R.J. Lupin joins the SAF as a defense against the dark arts teacher, while convicted murderer Sirius Black escapes from Azkaban. The Ministry of Magic entrusts the Dementors to guard Hogwarts from Black. Harry learns more about his past and his connection with the escaped prisoner, who is uh, played by... Gary Oldman. Good old Gary Oldman. True G, just an absolute, like, mega actor you know god tier actor i will say yeah, that his, well, his character in this film is a little bit different from just how he's presented in the other ones it's a bit mm-hmm. a bit hokey in the beginning but well i mean i think that's part of the you know the allure of that movie in the book is you know we have this you know crazy lunatic convict who's escaped and you have that tenseness that builds up because of that until you learn more about him well he'd also be a bit a bit crazy too, just having spent where he, you know, the time in Azkaban. Azkaban. Yep. Yeah, that's that's no that's no small oh, feat for sure. Uh, and then the Dementors, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, one character I um, overlooked to all these films, I have to just throw it in there. Uh, Filch is like my favorite character. Yeah, the, he's the caretaker with the cat. Yeah, <laughs> yes. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every second that man is on, on screen, I, I love it. Just, I love his mannerisms. I love his attitude. <laughs> Yeah. One of my favorite uh, scenes is, uh, I think it's in the last movie where, you know, Hogwarts is practically destroyed and, you know, he's just there with a broom, like sweeping away, like a daunting, oh, everything's fine. a daunting <laughs> level of rubble in front of him, just <laughs> piled to the ceiling and he's just sweeping. He picks up one yeah. rock, he looks at it and he throws it in the pile of rocks and he continues sweeping. Yeah. I love, I it. love it. Yeah. That's just, that's that world building that I'm talking about. You know, it's like. That's just what he has to do. That's his job. Back at it. So Prisoner of Azkaban, you get the Lupin um, and and Sirius storyline. Uh, I like the kind of like switcheroo on that. I like the, uh, um, you get uh, Peter Pettigrew and the rat. Uh, super interesting. I like that, like missing a finger. Uh, in the books, you get a lot more detail about that night. Um, what happened, you know, how he, he died, air quote. Um, why people think that Sirius was the one responsible. I mean, he did kind of come off crazy, to be honest, in the book uh, when handling that situation. I mean, however, it was Pettigrew's doing and him disappearing and, like, timing his transformation to a rat, like, blew off his finger or whatever. All they found was a finger because there was, like, an explosion and so much, like, cool stuff in terms of that storyline that was kind of skipped over where this was the film that you think they would go into with, like, a, a, a quick flashback or something. Um, mm-hmm. but that's where Hagrid left. I think he was like shocked that cause he took his bike, he gave him his bike and he's like, go, you know, he, he, he was kind of facilitating Hagrid's, uh, reaching, um, the, the Dursleys and, 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 uh, Dumbledore. So, I mean, it, there's a lot going on with, with that whole thing that they kind of skipped over where I thought this was a film that they might, might throw a bit of that information in, but they didn't. You know, I'm, I'm not sure of any type of deleted scenes or anything like that, so I'm not going to speculate. But, you know, anything, what what about this film for you? I mean, there's there's some specific stuff. You get Ministry of Magic. You get the Dementors, yeah. which is, like, the creepiest thing ever, you know? Seriously, I mean, the I think the movie portrayed the Dementors really, really well. The movies did it right, but um, I think it's kind of, like, hit or miss in the movies because sometimes they just kind of seem like 
like passive threats just kind of floating by. Um, but that the introductory scene on the train, uh, there's a couple mm -hmm. scenes where they're kind of floating over fields and like things are dying underneath them, you know, like that type of vibe was cool. Um, when he's up on, on his broomstick and they're kind of zipping by and kind of sucking out his, his essence little by little. And, uh, I like the fall scene and this is the movie with the fall scene, right? Where he falls off his broomstick and, um, and is like plumbing the earth and then, and then, um, Dumbledore stops him before he slows him down before he hits the ground. Is that when he's playing Quidditch? Yeah, they're playing Quidditch and then the Dementors are, are, they're high up and he's like in the clouds. And that was kind of like, like whatever for me, like just the way they were a passive, they weren't as menacing and, and, and scary as they were before. It kind of just seemed like they were just like fish taking nibbles. You know, the fall was scary. Like how he's plummeting to earth and mm -hmm. you know, a lot of cool stuff. It's just, there's, there's, there's a certain feeling that you get from this film going forward that really sets the tone for, I mean, Azkaban in general, this, once they started getting into Azkaban as, as a place and kind of what they do to wizards and, and how dark. dark it is. Yeah. It's like, you start getting in there. It's like, Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. This is bad. Yep. Like, you know, the Dementors are, are, they're literally sucking out your soul. Well, especially like we see that start to happen and it's just, it's immensely crazy. Mm -hmm. Then, I mean, we have the end of the movie. We, you know, Harry learns how to use the, Patrona spell and mm -hmm. um because lupin good old lupin like him thinking that was it his mom or his dad came to save him but it was just really him using that stupid um the patronus yeah i mean well no it was the that time thing that hermione was using to go to like 12 classes I it wanna, wasn't 12 I, classes i want to bring in a, i know what it's it's like a time dial they call it um so in the books what it is with the dial is that you have to like check it out through the ministry of magic like it's this big process they don't just give it to anybody but like the only place to get them is like through official means um they don't really tap on that but like I forget it was McGonagall was her sponsor, I guess, on that request to the Ministry of Magic to get that. And that was always the fun thing. She's always disheveled in that movie because she's just all over the place. <laughs> uh, I do like the time play that's going on. I like how they looped all that around. You know, you got... And and this is in, in the beginning of the film. You have the the aunt, right? The, the horrible, horrible aunt Petunia stopping by the house, right? Is this the one where he blows her up like a balloon? I think so. Yeah, because he he storms out of the house and you know he he has his 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 carry case or whatever his suitcase, then he's sitting you know on the side of the road and then that's when he sees uh, Sirius the dog. Yep. Then the bus comes to pick him up. <laughs> then the bus comes up uh, and then you get I forget that character's name, uh, but I remember that distinctly. Was that the 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 guy that that picks that picks him up? The funny guy. Um, he was on Voldemort's side, um, but was was under a brainwash spell. Yeah, the, the night bus. The night bus. Hey guys, why the long faces? <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it, it, that was that's when the movie started getting like cool to me, and I would say probably that would that would be like one of my top three. Uh, Goblet of Fire is my um, is like my number one or number two. It's a toss up between that and Half Blood Prince. But yeah, that's a uh, Prisoner of Azkaban is really where you start getting the tone. I mean, the whole concept of like the werewolf was pretty, pretty scary too, you know, just it, mm -hmm. it's pretty intense. You know, the, the fact that, I mean, he looked the way he looked too. It's, it's kind of creepy in the movies. Um, but in the book, you know, the way they, the way they, they convey that whole story plot is, is, is pretty dark and 
and creepy. I think in the book, and this was this this angered me the most is that the way that that Snape finds them all talking about Peter Pettigrew and how he comes in and all that is irritating in the book because what Harry does is that he sets down his cloak of invisibility at the base of the tree uh, and Snape comes along and just takes it and he basically does what Harry did in the film where he snuck into the bar and was listening to the the you know the teachers talk about his his godfather um but he basically did that to them you know he he puts on the cloak and he sneaks into the room and he listens to the conversation and then he chooses the time to spring it up but in the film he just kind of walks in but i remember in the book that irking me because just how flagrant harry is with with this cloak you know it is literally one of like the three rarest things in the world and he's just like tossing it around doesn't care about it <laughs> you know like it is established well, at the time he doesn't realize how significant in the cloak is. in the book it is it is clearly it is even ron in the first book i think it is or when he receives the cloak he's like this is unlike any other uh, invisibility cloak in there is like this actually works like this makes you like gone because like i guess it's it's not a hundred percent for all the other cloaks out there. Like they're kind of just like yeah. an illusion, uh, but this but cloak in, is, is the real deal. Yeah. But still like Harry doesn't appreciate it for what it is. Yet. No. Yeah. No. I mean, I don't think he ever really does to be honest. It's just kind of a tool. I mean, he does later on. They never really have confirmation that that is, uh, you know, part of death's robe. Uh, but it's heavily hinted at that, you know, he's part of the family bloodline of the family that received that cloak originally, you know, um, well, I mean, I don't think there's no official confirmation, but I mean, how could he not be? I mean, the way they, I love that storyline. Just the, the, I mean, we'll talk about that later, but the Deathly Hollows and, and, and just where all that stuff comes from. It's like some of my favorite stuff in Harry Potter, but uh, yeah, I, that was just something that, that irked me about the books was just how, I mean, even if it is, you know, he didn't know how rare it is. Like, obviously it's like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> just going to leave it there, yeah. especially for Snape to find it. Uh, and then the kind of the way that, that Snape, um, he comes to their rescue in the book. He's the one that goes and, and, and picks them up and, and takes them. Um, you know, he's, he defends the kids from Lupin when he changes. And I think he's yep. like knocked out or something like that. But, you know, that goes, that goes a, a long way in regards to establishing, you know, Snape as, as a person, his character. And they left that out yep. in the film. I, I was kind of disappointed with that. Well, and I think what they were trying to do is people that hadn't read the book, they wanted to portray Snape as he could go completely one way or the like or the other. Like he, he was on that fence line, you know, where in the books, there's more instances where, you know, he's doing the good thing because he, he truly is a good person. Yeah, that is the because, thing. He is established a lot better in the books as more of a good person. Yeah. Um, he's got his well, issues, but. Oh, yeah. But in the movies, it's like, he rides that fine line where he could teeter either way. And I mean, especially in the movies, he's presented more as a bad guy, especially in the later films until his reveal. Yeah. I think they did Snape a little dirty in the book in the, in the films, to be honest. I, I, I do remember that distinctly. It was like, well, you know, this, this already kind of gets me in a different headspace with Snape going into these future books, you know, and how I'm going to perceive his decision-making. And then, to me, even per, you know, on a personal level, being even more devastated when he chooses to like kill uh, Dumbledore, you know, it's like yep. it, it even established more of this 
this difference of 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 kind of headspace as to where the character was but in the in the movies he was just kind of like always pissed off at harry and just <laughs> he's projecting yeah. you know that's just how that character was and then he did what you would assume one day he probably would have done and then later find out all this other stuff but in the books it's a lot more thoroughly laid out um mm-hmm. i remember the the i mean I, I don't think it's this book it might be a later book but um when he's helping him uh, fight off these thoughts and, and Voldemort getting into his head and stuff like that, there's a lot more detail and, 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 and information that you get from his youth growing up with his mom and yep. stuff like that and, and, and kind of what that meant. There's a lot more heart involved with that character in the books, uh, which is another reason yep. why I recommend people read the books or listen to the books because uh, you get a lot more from these types of characters that you might like, but you know, you kind of feel bad liking. Uh, it just makes yeah. it a lot more of like a real experience and world where people are left with decisions where, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do type thing. Yep. Well, I just, while we're talking about Snape, the, the screenwriting did him dirty, but Alan Rickman did a fantastic job of portraying the character from start to finish from yeah. what the, the material he was given with. He worked really well with it. The I think he was visually supposed to look more like Filch in terms of like his like just his face and his hair and his posture and that type of thing. In the books, they did kind of he had long, greasy hair that was cascading over his face, you know, and he had like a hook nose and like sunken eye, you know, like he looked more kind of like evil you know he looked more menacing as a character and alan rickman just looked like alan rickman and his his um, amazing top tier acting <laughs> i love that man and like everything i mean die hard come on now um i mean dogma mm. i loved him in dogma growing up and you know all these other films that, that he popped up in but every time he was in those films he, he portrayed that character consistently and um, i think it was it was fairly okay but like i said just uh you know you get more of the internal struggle with him as a character in the books um, but yeah, Prisoner of Azkaban, I, you know, it's, it's a good one. Uh, you do have Ministry yep. of Magic too, which becomes, uh, pretty, pretty thick in these, in these, uh, in these future books and films, which the next one is the Goblet of Fire. And, uh, uh just talking about Prisoner of Azkaban, um, it's, this one is probably, I would say it's one of my top two favorite books and, uh, of the movies as well. Um, just having Lupin come in and sever or serious. Black, I mean, those two are probably my favorite characters out mm. of the all of them outside of Harry. So I, re- I really appreciate this movie for setting those characters up, especially for what they do later on. Solid, solid movie. Yeah, well, I also, I mean, we have to hit on on the Marauders map. Completely skimmed over the entire backstory of of that map. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, in the books you have a very flushed out flashback story of of these four characters uh what they were doing in in their their school years what they were doing for lupin um you know it it talked about them uh being animagus and and not being registered with the ministry which is highly illegal you know so i mean you have you have that's that's why people don't that's why they don't know where sirius black is is because he's not he's not a registered animagus with the the ministry of uh the ministry of magic or the Ministry of Defense or whatever it is. Um, so they have no record of him being able to to transform, much like Peter Pettigrew and why they never found him. Um, and then Lupin is, is I mean, they did it for him. They taught themselves how to be Animagus uh, so that they can they can keep him company when he, when he turns because he was not aggressive towards other animals during that time. 
uh, which I mean is as an again warm and fuzzy character building. You know, those are those are deep things that 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 convey uh, where these characters are at, where you know what they what they thought of their friends and and what they're willing to do and and the compassion and the character of them. So I think maybe maybe Prisoner of Azkaban is is the the worst victim of things being cut from the book that actually do make a difference in the film. I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong. We'll we'll think about other stuff going down, but uh, those are some pretty big things. The 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 leaving out of the Marauders map and the story behind it, uh, and the entire concept of the Animagus and uh, the Ministry of Magic, how they how they uh, categorize and keep track of of these these wizards. And witches that have that ability and and all that stuff so um yeah i mean it's a good movie but it's definitely a better book for sure actually yep. so yep. yeah goblet of fire this is this is a, a this is a top two for me that's like duking it out for half-blood prince but goblet of fire i'll read this one and then then we'll kind of hear what you think about it during harry's fourth year hogwarts plays host to the triwizard tournament three european schools participate in the tournament with three champions representing each school in the deadly tasks the Goblet of Fire chooses Flor Delacour, Victor Crumb, and Cedric Diggory to compete against each other. However, Harry's name is also produced from the Goblet, thus making him the fourth champion, which leads to a terrifying encounter with the reborn Lord Voldemort. And that was 2005 for that film, so that was my graduating year in high school. And uh, when was the book? July of 2000. 2000. Damn, that's just... Yeah, you're getting a <laughs> lot of books. She's writing fast, man. Whoa. That's a lot of writing. Yep, um, but, and she slows down from here because she's also working on the movies. Mm-hmm. So the next three books take her seven years, essentially. She wasn't necessarily knee deep in any type of production or anything, but she's an oversight role. Everything had to go through her, yep. and it definitely took up yep. her time. But Goblet of Fire, I mean, you have Cedric Diggory. I, I wish they would have introduced him maybe as like a background character at some point in the previous films or books. Um, but they kind of just inject him. I mean, you get a, it's, it's your, it's one of your, your most predominant Hufflepuff characters and, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously a, a sad outcome, but, uh, you know, what do you think of, of Goblet of Fire as a whole? I mean, the, the first three books and movies are, are very much hinting at Voldemort and, you know, there's a little bit of darkness here and there. I mean, there, there's a pretty good amount of like, you know, dark material, um, in the other two movies, but here we get dark. We, I mean, while we start off this movie with having the little kind of mutilated Voldemort, the, the Arcus, if you will, yeah, <laughs> yeah the, like in the manner and like this, how like Harry's seeing this, and it just starts off really dark, and we have our first student death, which is. Um, I mean, it's dark with yeah, Cedric dying. You, you get, you get it's, child death in this book in this movie. Yeah, that is true. Which yeah. is honestly surprising because I mean, we like especially with Chamber of Secrets. I mean, yeah, like you you talked about how you were surprised how no one else died. I mean, it's crazy to me to think that no one else died in, in that that book because I mean, the only other than Harry, well, it's not even Harry. I mean, the only thing that really sees. Uh, the basilisk's eyes is nearly headless Nick and he's already dead. So, I mean, yeah, well, and, um, moaning Myrtle too. She, she saw well, the yeah, eyes. She, she died, but you I mean that, that was in the past. I mean, that might be a reason as to why they didn't kill off any of the kids. Cause it'd be like, okay, so moaning Myrtle would have another friend, right? Like there'd be another, yeah. one of the students would be a ghost. 
and that would be kind of weird. Um, yeah, but yeah, you do see uh, death and, and and child death in this film too. That's not that's not something that you typically see in in a film like that, you know. No, so it it's just it starts off dark and it stays dark. I mean, with Harry not putting his name in and like all of these challenges are truly like life threatening with the dragons and the the their mirror the mer people right mm-hmm. that are like you know that look cute and all of a sudden they're like they go eight crazy on him is like oh crap yeah i mean they're not they're not aggressive they were just they were like referees essentially you know yeah they got a little little spicy towards the end but it was it was within the realm of of reason for like the whole whole story um yeah the whole kidnapping of the kids and 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 you know putting them at the bottom of the lake it's like yeah they probably weren't in danger but still it's pretty messed up um you know i mean with with the goblet of fire too i mean you have this whole like anti um harry concepts even with ron you know where it's a bit weird how he thinks that he's been betrayed because harry did this without telling him and and all this it kind of seems like something a little bit too small for for ron to all of a sudden just kind of lose faith in harry and just not believe anything he says type thing and it's like why mm-hmm. why would he keep that from you? It doesn't even make any sense, you know. So with the Goblet of Fire you have the what is it, the Quidditch tournament? The Quidditch World Championship. Yep. Where they have the they introduce the port keys, right? This is where you kinda yep. get your introduction to the port keys and how they work and I like that whole scene. I like the I like the before and after, like the the matches, whatever. I mean, yeah, it looks like a, a Quidditch match, but I like like the celebrating afterwards and then kinda how it takes a tonal shift into into the Death Eaters coming through and, and destroying everything and kind of, you know, setting the tone for, for what the story is going to be. And um, you also get uh, Mad-Eye Moody, right? We get Mad-Eye Moody in this film. Well, yeah, kind a, of. A certain form of Mad-Eye Moody. <laughs> I mean, the version that I like more, to be honest, but uh, you don't get to experience him uh, out of this form for very long. You know, you get you get some some decent character development, especially with the Voldemort character in general. Just just how he comes to be, and, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm saying. Like at the beginning, we we do see Harry at the, the manor, or having that vision of the manor with little demented Voldemort fetus, or whatever we want to call him. Actually, I don't know if we, if Harry's seeing that. If, if we just see that as audience, I can't remember. Yeah, but um, we see that regardless, and. Um, and we have that, that Quidditch match and the fallout of everything. And it, you're right. It's a complete tonal shift from everything that we've seen before. It's just, it gets into the dark parts of Harry Potter and everything. I really like it. I like the the, the tone that it really transforms for the rest of the, the books and movies. Yeah. Well, it also expands on the overall world of the Wizarding World as well to show you there's mm-hmm. other schools out there with different approaches to it um yeah i mean i think my 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 issue with it is just kind of how the dynamic between the three characters in this film uh and just kind of the drama going on with all that and it's like it all comes to when when it gets down to business later when he's going through his trials but i don't know it kind of seemed a little bit like angsty in regards to how they were treating one another and in the books you uh, know i mean it was yeah yeah i mean there's 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 good world building but at the same time there was some kind of drama that i don't know i just i i, I got used to feeling the way that i did with the with the characters and how kind of shoulder to shoulder they were and, and kind of just the team you know but you get a little bit of drama but i mean it it's still one of my like top favorite films even with me not being into that that storyline a little bit um 
you can definitely have some fun with it. Um, but yeah, for the sake of time, let's go ahead and push on forward. Uh, Order of the yep. Phoenix is the next one. I'll go ahead and read this. Uh, film came out in 2007. What was the book? 2003. So there's a three-year time gap between the last book and this one. Okay, so she's warming up for the ending of the stories here. I mean, this is the halfway point of the uh, of the films and the books. Harry's fifth year begins with him being attacked by Dementors in Little Wingjing. Later, he finds out that the Ministry of Magic is in denial of Lord Voldemort's return. Harry is also beset by disturbing and realistic nightmares, while Professor Umbridge, a representative of Minister of Magic, Cornelius Fudge, is a new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Harry becomes aware that Voldemort is after a prophecy which reveals neither can live while the other survives. The rebellion involving the students of Hogwarts, secret organization, Order of the Phoenix, the Ministry of Magic, and the Death Eaters begins. Um, so yeah, they're talking about Umbridge. Ugh. I hate Umbridge uh, so much. Yeah, that's a, it's a really well-done character, but I hate that character. <laughs> but, so, I mean, it's, you're supposed to. It's one of those characters that you just love to hate because, like, she's written so well to to be annoying, to be awful. It's perfect. I just love how Filch is, like, all about it. <laughs> it just yeah. seems like, oh, my God, my time. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. yeah. Um, Umbridge is, is a is... horrible character to watch just because of how frustrating she is. But, hey, it's effective. Yep. Yeah, uh, this is probably my favorite of all of them. It's where we see... Harry really connect with his uncle um, and develop that relationship, but also to have that relationship be severed prematurely. Yeah. Um, we have our first like crazy wizarding battle or duel happen, which was good. I mean, we, we, it was good too. Oh, it was it was, fight, yeah. it was great fight. I mean, it's just such a good movie. I and book all of the acting in it is fantastic. I don't know. I mean, we get Bellatrix Lestrange coming in, but what? Is it Helen McCroy that plays her? That uh, sound familiar? I forget. Uh, it's the the female version of Johnny Depp. Pretty much, and she she goes all out. She does a great job. I mean, that character is truly terrifying because the of how crazy she's portrayed. Yeah. It's great. I'd say that whole that whole bloodline has definitely became like become a little muddled when trying to follow it because it's that bloodline is very active in the Fantastic Beast stories, and um, yeah. I think even in the last film, there was there was a Lestrange and I forget it was like a sister or, or something. I don't know. And and the thing is, is whenever they do that, my mind has to go into this like, you know, detective mode where I start digging through my brain as to why they would bring this character back up. Is this person a relative? Is this the father? Is this the mother? Is this like an aunt that was referenced in the original film? You know what I mean? Like. That's, I mean, that goes back to like the Star Wars thing where it's like you're kind of dipping, but I mean, here it fits because you're, you're building this character. Um, but when they do it in the Fantastic Beasts, it, it, it gets a little bit of annoying because I spend five minutes sorting through my brain as to why they would tell me that. <laughs> it's like, okay, so what's the relevance of this, of this character's bloodline being brought back? Um, but the Lestranges were like notoriously kind of crazy and wild and mm -hmm. a, a predominant supporter of everything evil so um i can understand but um or the thing i mean that you get the exit of of uh serious black right yeah yeah that's a very a very creepy scene in the movie but it's it's even creepier in the books yep how they describe the veil or whatever and uh it's 
it's pretty somber for sure. And just kind of, you get left with this feeling like it's like, it's just, it's done. There's nothing you can do. Like you can't grasp it in the second, but it's like, you know, you, you understand it's like, there is no coming back from that type of the way they portray it. But in the books, it's like, they really, they really describe, they're not there very long, but they really describe that, that archway and, and what's going Mm -hmm. on. And, and when you see it, it's, you you know, you, you hear it or read it in the book. It's just like, Oh, it's done. You know? Um, yeah. But it's just such like the, this film, I mean, the, the last in Goblet of Fire changes the tone of the series, but this changes like the story direction. Like we have the tone has shifted. And now like, the hope that we have with Harry having family and Sirius Black and all these different things are just shattered. You're, you're just left with like, you know, oh crap, what's next? Because this ain't good now, you know? Yeah. yeah, and you know, it's it's sad in terms of Harry and his loss and, and kind of like where that character is and, and constantly getting things taken away from him and stuff like that. And I mean, the end, you get the you get the little bit of gratification because there's confirmation that Voldemort's back, you know, or I mean, this is the one where you have the Dumbledore and um, yes, you have the Dumbledore yes. and, and, and Voldemort fight, which is super cool. And they did harken back to that a little bit in the Fantastic Beasts. You get a little bit more of that type of, of fighting where there's a lot of elemental and, and kind of mystical creative magic going on, uh, like next level type magic. Uh, I do love that fight, though. I love that that whole scene. Um, it's a little bit corny when the whole love speech and all that, but um, very gratifying to see everybody come through the flute powder. You know, I forget what those are called, but they basically come out of the the fireplaces and they see him yep. for a split second, and he, the and the minister is blown away. Like yeah. he gets his comeuppance in a very throwaway. Yep montage scene at the end but what happens at the end of that film i mean it opens the door for everything that follows you know with him no longer being the minister and who fills the spot and the changes that happen uh over the course of the next three films or two books you know it gets pretty political you know it gets very uh world war ii-ish in the sense of of discrimination and and that type of thing you know um I also, I mean, I think that the the way they portray, because let's let's not beat around the bush. It's a very clear, it's a very clear uh, representation of like Nazi Germany and World yep. War Two. Uh, the same thing with Star Wars. You know, you can't go you can't go without referencing the the Empire and how that whole. Uh, I mean, even the New Order, they didn't even skimp on that. Yeah, that was blatant reference. Blatant, right colored, even down to the colors. You know. Um, yep. So it was, uh, you know, you, you get that, you get that really strong in these other films, um, you know, the Deathly Hollows and the Half-Blood Prince, uh, where they redo like the, the, the fountain or whatever, where, you know, it shows muggles being like, you know, uh, enslaved and stuff like that. Um, you know, you, you, you that this is where that door is open and where it's led into in, in, in the, the books to follow. Uh, because yep. that minister is gone and that and that spot and, and the corruption that, that fills that spot. And I mean, not necessarily, right? Because the one that, that shows up uh, to the wedding to bequeath the 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 items from Dumbledore's will to the kids, uh, I mean, he's murdered like minutes after leaving that place, right? Yeah. I mean, he leaves and then the wedding starts and then you get word that the minister is dead and, and, and that type of stuff. Um which then one all hell that? breaks loose. That's, is that's, that Deathly Hollows? Yeah, it's Deathly Hollows. Deathly Hollows, yeah. 
Uh, but it all starts here. You know, the, the what happens at the end of this film. This is kind of the last bit where you get a relieving ending, right? Because, I mean, yes, Sirius is dead, but you get the justification of people now confirming that they weren't lying, that they weren't crazy, that, mm -hmm. you know, they're you still get a little bit of a relief, but you get no relief in Half-Blood Prince. You get no relief in Deathly Hollows. Um, and in part two of Deathly Hollows, it's still kind of a melancholy uh, ending, you know, with him snapping the wand yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, let's let's move on to Half-Blood Prince. Uh, you know, I just like this one just because of what it has to do with, with Snape and all that. Um, but, you know, I'll read, I'll read this real quick. In Harry's sixth year at Hogwarts, Lord Voldemort and his Death Eaters are increasing their terror upon the wizarding and muggle worlds. Headmaster Albus Dumbledore persuades his old friend Horace Slughorn to return to Hogwarts as a professor as there is a vacancy to fill. There is a more important reason, however, for Slughorn's return. While in a potions lesson, Harry takes possession of a strangely annotated school textbook inscribed as belonging to the Half-Blood Prince. Draco Malfoy struggles to carry out a mission presented to him by Voldemort. Meanwhile, Dumbledore and Harry secretly work together to discover the method on how to destroy the Dark Lord once and for all. And that's, you know, what we've got 2009 for the film. What's that book? Oh, the book came out in 2005. Okay, a couple year difference there. Yeah, um, it's two years. So this is where we, I'm Slughorn again, I mentioned one of my favorite characters just because of just the way he's acted and even the books is written really well, um, mm -hmm. but we get Horcruxes, you know? Yep. This is where I think we get the, you know, the true scope of Voldemort. And I mean, we see how truly bad he is, what he's done to do to live and survive. And it really just becomes apparent to the reader or to the viewer. Yeah. I mean, he had this, this was clear intention for no other reason other than to remain immortal from essentially a child who would have no reason to fear for his life or dying or anything like that. He simply saw it as a precautionary measure to ensure that he would, he would live, uh, which is pretty, pretty dark. And then the means of, of actually, uh, fabricating a Horcrux having to, to murder somebody. Um, well, I mean, he, the, the Horcruxes didn't start off because he was afraid of a child. It was because he wanted to live forever. Yeah, I'm just saying, that, um, like, as a child, he had no reason to do. I mean, typically you would assume somebody put in that position would be because they're concerned that they're going to die or that something's going to yeah. happen and that they need to tuck away somewhere. But this is preemptive. <laughs> like, this is completely preemptive. You know, he's like, yeah, about yeah, 10 it's years like, ago, oh. you know. Yeah, it's like, well, no, it's like even this. It's like, I know I'm going to do some bad stuff here pretty soon. I want to protect myself. I want to keep alive in case, you know, someone were to get the best of me. Like, he's planning ahead. Like Pretty evil. About, you know? Pretty evil. <laughs> pretty evil for sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, in the books here, I'm not sure if this is the book for sure, but this is, you really get a lot of the Horcrux talk and the history of, of Riddle yeah. and his who he was getting these from um god i, I want to go back and read this book and this is why i would say this is my favorite that the the half-blood prince is so deep in the lore of how all this started um with the god i forget was it his like he didn't know his father right and his father was like some some popular like muggle and his mom was part of this really grungy family of of like pure blood type, you know, um, 
a racist, I guess you would say, but, you know, just this very grungy group of, 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 you know, a long bloodline of, of pure blood wizards and, uh, the young girl being fascinated with the smuggle and then her brainwashing him kind of like how, uh, what's her face does in, in the fantastic beasts. She took over and she, she injected herself into his life and they had a kid and then he like snaps out of it at one point. And it's just such a crazy story that everything goes on with, with, uh, the riddle family and then the, the, the heirlooms that he chooses and why and how he gets them. And it's, it's a long, there's a lot of story there in those books that go <laughs> into detail as to, as to, you know, the backstory of, of these Horcruxes, which is very cool. And, and again, another reason to, to read or listen to the books, because all that juicy backstory is, is there uh, to enjoy. But, you know, what do you, what do you think of Order of the Phoenix in particular? Bad. <laughs> That's my overall, my feeling. I mean, we have that, that start off where they're looking for the Horcruxes, right? And Dumbledore is essentially cursed from one of the, the Horcruxes. We just see this, like, great man shrieking and like in pain of like trying to is it drink that stuff to get to the the mm -hmm. horcrux yeah is that right yeah i mean a lot, a lot more detail in that in that scene as well uh in regards to yeah. what riddle did to to safeguard that place and and um you know the 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 minute details that dumbledore is aware of when operating inside that that cave because it's filled with booby traps <laughs> and and he's aware of them all even down to how he finds the chain for the boat which is buried or that's submerged in the water and and all that stuff but yeah carry on yeah anyways it's all the way that tom put this all together is just crazy to think that you like was obsessed so much of staying alive that he did all these different things. And it's super, like, it's sad that someone had to, or felt like they had to go through all of this. And I mean, it is whatever for well, I Tom, mean, in, in particular, and that's in that in the book, I mean, he lures those, I mean, they mentioned in the movie, but he lures the kids down there so that he could set up his traps essentially. And mm -hmm. he like uses them as, 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 experiments essentially to see whether or not they're working and stuff if i'm not mistaken i think because like the boat it's like it only it can only carry one person or something and and there's a certain way like harry i think they just brush over it like oh he's too he's too weak for it to matter like it wouldn't you know like some weird stuff but in the books it gets a lot more into detail into how yeah exactly how creepy and like evil uh, Tom Riddle was as like a kid. I mean, you get a little bit of that from that child actor who did like a really good job. Yep. All of these different things is, is just nuts. And it, it, the, the ending is just so sad. Um, and we like just the foreshadowing of what's coming and very dark, very dark. Yeah. I mean, you also get the, the unforgettable online moment of uh, Snape kills Dumbledore, uh, just being screamed out of the windows of, of moving vehicles on release date of the book. <laughs> some, of oh. the, some of the best uh, content the internet has to offer is seeing people react. Where's it coming through? Oh. Okay, I'm going to watch it. This guy is evil. <laughs> Snape kills Dumbledore! <laughs> this isn't even the one. This isn't even the one, dude. Hey, hold on, hold on. Oh, there it is. <laughs> you can't unhear that. 
there's no way to unhear that that's like the ultimate drum uh but yeah that that last bit was was a popular snippet i didn't i never seen the full video but that last one where she screams no and all that that's that was a, a popular one on the internet um, yeah i see i i knew that that was happening when the films came out like people would, that had read the books were you're dumb <laughs> yeah they didn't need to spoil it by that point if anything it was probably just a point of topic where it's just like well in the books because that's just how these are you know everybody oh the book's so much better duh bro <laughs> like i i i hate it when people say that because it's like duh <laughs> like yep. unless it's like a 200 page book there really should be no reason as to why the movie would be better than the book because the details the the, the world building again the character development mm -hmm. and stuff like that is much more deep you have limitations within a film so uh, i get it but yeah, that was that was always funny about the Half Blood Prince is is that that ruining of the book. I mean, it's a big moment, you know. That's a huge moment in the books, and and yeah, yep. people people ruining it was always a a fun fun thing to watch. Yeah, um, but going back to the t the topic of this book, just talking about Horcruxes, learning more about Snape, and very again, just very dark book and movie, extremely good but dark. I, I I think I like it just because of the. You get a little bit of a buddy buddy type of of storyline with um, Dumbledore and and Harry. On um, the film, you have him, you have Harry sitting in the the cafe or whatever, and he's hitting on that chick, and you know he's about to get them digits, my man. You know he sees Dumbledore outside, and he goes out there, and they have to to zip away, right? Yeah, and that they go directly to that. Uh, they the go crystal to Slughorn. Cave. No, they go to Slughorn um, in the beginning of the film. They go. Oh, they go pick right. up Slughorn, and then later when he's like. They're standing there, and he's like, "You got to do everything I say," and blah blah blah. So much more detail. Yeah, right. So I guess, right. I guess this would be the book. Um, Prisoner of Azkaban would probably be the second one, but this would be the book that I recommend people like listen to if they want to compare movie to uh, book. Because I feel the book makes the movie better rather than kind of leaving out details. You know what I mean? Like it gives you so much yeah. more juicy content to add into these scenes. Uh, that don't doesn't necessarily sway the outcome of the film, but it adds a lot to it. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, you get sad stuff from Draco Malfoy's kind of deterioration as a character, and then uh, you know you get the Snape, uh, the double double agent or whatever we got going on here. Double triple agent. <laughs> but you know you have. I mean, I was just angry that they set Hagrid's shack on fire. Like, what did my boy do to you? Like, Jesus, <laughs> that's just not right. Don't do that. And like, was the dog in there? So I just didn't like how uh, how I mean. You're not supposed to like it, you know how you're left off in that film. It's very somber and yep. and and uh, unsatisfying. But uh, you know, I mean, so was so was you know you know so was yep. the Empire Strikes Back in in regards to the somber tone that it ends on. So uh, I like this one a whole lot. Again, my recommendation: read it, listen to it, watch it, kind of consume it because it's a good tale. Agreed. So let's move on. Yeah. What do we got next? Deathly Hollows. So these are the two, right? So there's a book was it was just one book, right? And then yep. two films. So yep. um, I'll read these both, and we'll just kind of talk about it as one. Uh, okay. So for part one, we got 2010. What year was that for book? The 2007. So 2007 for for both parts, right? I would assume. Yep. Okay. So Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows, part one. 
After unexpected events at the end of the previous year, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are entrusted with a quest to find and destroy Lord Voldemort's secret to her immortality, the Horcruxes. It is supposed to be their final year at Hogwarts, but the collapse of the Ministry of Magic and Voldemort's rise to power prevents them from attending. The trio undergo an arduous journey with many obstacles in their path, including Death Eaters, Snatchers, and mysterious Deathly Hollows, and Harry's connection to the Dark Lord's mind becoming even stronger. Then Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part 2, that one released a year later, same year 2007. After destroying one Horcrux and discovering the significance of the three Deathly Hollows, Harry, Ron, and Hermione continue to seek the other Horcruxes in an attempt to destroy Voldemort, who has now obtained the powerful Elder Wand. The Dark Lord discovers Harry's hunt for the Horcruxes and launches an attack on Hogwarts, where the trio return for one last stand against the dark forces that threaten both the Wizarding and Muggle worlds. So this is the epic one, right? This is the, the yeah. The this final is the battle. big one. This is the big one. Uh, I mean, the first the first one you get a lot of 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 world jumping you know you get a lot of location hopping which one but is it's it? also it's also doing a lot of world building of all these different locations and different things going on it's very it's this and um i want to say it's this one in um the second or third one i can't remember which one precisely but just no i get no it's the fourth one it's goblet of fire just do a, a huge expansion on like the wizarding world you know yeah a lot of government you know, um, involvement with this one uh, in terms of like the Ministry of Magic and just how corrupt and, and there's different angles that work here. You know, it's not just it's not just Voldemort going to like, you know, hurt and, and kill. Uh, you have corruption and you have, uh, you know, f flip flopping of sides and uh, there's a lot going on. It's not just a, a final battle. Um, I forget is part one or part two where Ron is like messed up because at the end of half-blood prince um he has the locket but he finds out it's fake and he shows hermione and then they they say that they're not going to come back and then the beginning of the deathly hollows part one is where hermione uh, hermione obliviates her parents right yeah and then they all kind of i like that intro too where they all kind of just or he she like walks out and she's just she's off to go do her thing you know i forget in the book if they ever harken back to that and and mention as to whether or not she reversed the spell um but that always kind of left me <laughs> it's kind of sad you know it's extremely sad but I, i'm i i forget if there was some type of resolution to that but is this the one where ron gets all emo yes and he leaves for a while and comes back but does he come back in the second movie or does he come back in the first movie? Oh, I can't remember. I can tell you how he gets back. Yeah, well, in the book and the the film. His little speech is kind of like fast. But in the book, yeah, he goes into details about um, the word Voldemort being cursed. Yep. That was something they never mentioned in the in the films. Uh, that's how they knew where, where they were was every time that he said Voldemort, it was like a, a, a pager going off, you know? What else do you got in, in Deathly Hollows? I mean, the first part of the movie is is literally just like the exploration, adventure, you know, off to see the wizard type of thing. Um, and it ends with like probably the second saddest, third saddest scene for me is, you know, Dobby's death and they're burying Dobby. Yeah, yeah. He leaves and come back in that movie. Okay, so yeah. And then 
they get taken by the snatchers and then yeah the torture scene with lestrange that's messed up yep that is legitimate torture of a child <laughs> that they have in the movie <laughs> i mean that's it's it's pretty brutal in the in the books too um mm -hmm. the dialogue between the two is is very like scary you know she is crazy and they don't you know you hear her screaming in the movie and all that but you know you really don't get the the emphasis on how much she's enjoying it while she's doing it you know um yep i don't think anything i mean it's not saying that that she didn't come off absolutely insane in that movie she did 100 <laughs> percent. i don't think anybody else could have done it that well to be honest but uh yeah that's uh that is sad losing dobby you know you get used to it uh, or that character and again it's it's one of those it's it's something to push the story further and and to show you where where the vibe is going but you get his last little moment you get him helping and, and making a difference and you know that's something else that you that you get kind of deprived of in the films is dobby's involvement with hogwarts um you know and, and kind of how defiant he is as an elf it's like yep. he he wants to do what you're supposed to do as a house elf but at the same time he takes his freedom very seriously <laughs> so he like he's like stuck in between like wanting and needing like he needs to do the things that house elves do because that's just it's part of them you know but at the same time he doesn't want to be told to what to do because he's a free elf and he takes that very seriously but i like that character a lot i think his introduction was annoying back in that film when he was introduced you have the first utterance or near utterance of of avada kedabra right yeah so i mean now he was literally going to kill harry there right in front of dumbledore's office uh but dobby stopped him which is crazy yep. when you think about it you know it's like you you look up you look past it at the time but i mean literally he was about to murder a child on school grounds <laughs> in hogwarts <laughs> like that is insane yeah that, you don't come back from that one yeah that would be a hard one to 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 pass off you know self-defense <laughs> is that what it was so yeah, it's sad to see Dobby go. Uh, you get a little bit more of the Polyjuice portion, uh, potion with with Hermione changing into uh, Bellatrix Lestrange. Um, yeah. The you get the bank right. You get that kind of yep. cringe scene. What else? What else is in that film? Um. Oh, the blind dragon. Yeah. There's just there's a lot packed in to both of these movies. The, there's a lot more storytelling going on in the first one, and a lot more action in the second one. So if you weren't prepared for that, you'd be sleeping or at least really bored in the first one. But then in the second one, you know, you things really pick up. And I mean, the 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 rankings definitely show that. I mean, the the movie rankings for Deathly Hollows Part One were number five for the year in the United States and number three year for the worldwide that year. But Deathly Hollows Part Two in the next year was number one in the United States and worldwide. Mm. I mean, so it's the it final is, hurrah. You know, they're for sure going to well, get some attention. It's the final hurrah, but I mean, people knew that that first part was going to be a little bit more boring. And it, like the the critical rating of it, did even show that. Um, like the Metacritic for um, part one was sixty five, the Rotten Tomatoes seventy seven, um, the Cinema Score was an A. But then you have the part two, the Rotten Tomatoes is a ninety six, Metacritic eighty five, and the Cinema Score is an A. So, I mean, there's definitely some people weren't as in favorable. It's the, the least review or the lowest reviewed of, out of all the movies go. Um, hmm. But it's, it's because of that. A lot of the plot is there. There's not a lot of action and the action that does take place is, you know, that you have the torture scene and the escape. Um, you have the bank, but there's nothing to date that it, you would expect from the 
the wizard movie where you have all these grand fights, especially after Order of Phoenix, you have the the fight between Dumbledore and Voldemort. So yeah. people just weren't expecting it to be that, especially the the average moviegoer who hadn't read the books. It was a different story. Yeah, and at the end of that film, you have uh, Voldemort opening up the tomb of yep. Dumbledore and taking the Elder One, which, I mean, we, you also get the full rundown of what the, the Deathly Hollows are. You know, you get an understanding of the story behind those three magical pieces. And, and going to the next film and, and thinking about it, did he release the stone out of his hand and it rotated three times when it was going out of his palm and fell to the ground? Is that why it worked? Because the, the, the way that the stone works is that you rotate it in your palm or you rotate it in your hand three times and you, like, make a wish. And that is, like, what, you know, that's how it operates. And I remember in the film, he has it in his hand and he just lets it drop. But they zoom in on his hand and, and, the, and the stone is tumbling out of his hand. Uh, and I could have swore that I saw almost three rotations uh, do you think that's how it worked or what was going on with the stone? Like, did he use it? I, I, I don't know if he did. I think it was probably uh, inadvertent. Cause I mean, what's the explanation as to why he survived that final fight with Voldemort? Well, the the official explanation is because he's a Horcrux. But did, um, did he die and get like, was it was, I mean, yeah, I understand why he got like, you know, he got done. So, in. I'm just saying like he should have died. And is the reason well, that he didn't die, is it because he dropped the stone before going into that fight? Or was it because of some type of contradiction with the Horcrux and the spell and all that stuff? Yes. I think it's a combination of him like accessing the stone and the fact that he is a Horcrux. And I think it, they make it pretty clear that Voldemort killed the Horcrux, but not Harry. Yeah. And Harry was able to choose, uh, you know, what path to take because he had the stone i don't know if he would have died if he didn't have the stone or not so that's the one thing i'm unclear about but it's definitely certain that they they, um, they made you focus on the fact that he he got into the the snitch and he found the stone uh, which yep. snitch might be a recurring character by the way now not just the snitch that he caught in his first match uh okay it is an actual character in fantastic beast now uh so Interesting. take that however you want it. But Dumbledore wields a snitch as a weapon, essentially, in that film. It's like a pet, and uh, it goes and bonks people and stuff. Um, whether it's the same one, and it's always had the stone in it, now it's like they're 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 doing the Star Wars. <laughs> they're going, they're adding layers. I don't like it. Um, well, so the, the stone wouldn't have been in there because it wasn't in, put in the snitch until after i'm just saying is that the one um, that he utilized and the way that snitches work okay, yeah. the way that snitches work is very laid out in the books nobody touches them ever like they're not touched by by human hands until they're caught and that's why their their print is embedded into uh the snitch is because it's like a like a you know who won who actually touched it first type thing it's a feature of the yep. snitch um so that's that's going to be a thing where if this is the snitch that they used in that first game, then it's like, okay, well, now you just got rid of all that. Like, I had an explanation. I highly <laughs> doubt it then. I mean, it's weird that he has a snitch and it's a, it's a, it's like a pet that he, he sets out like a drone, you know? It, it gave me thoughts like they were hinting at that snitch being the same one from the film. And it's like, okay, let's not do that. Let's not do that. So uh, I don't want to get into that. But yeah, the Deathly Hollows, the Horcruxes. Did you feel that it was a little bit rushed towards the end with them checking off the last like 
two or three. I mean, they didn't check off the last two or three until, you know, the second part. It was extremely rushed once yeah, we got like, the like, second movie, but just because there was so much the going on How there, many Horcrux? It was, was it seven? Seven, including okay. Harry. So, I mean, we have a real Thanos situation here, right? We got, you had the book, you had... You the had book the, was already gone. You had... What did uh what did Ron stab in the in the chamber? Hermione stabbed the the cup with the, the basilisk uh, thing. Yes, yeah. okay, okay, okay. So yeah, the chalice uh, that was in the room of requirement in its yep. storage form. So you have you have like a you know, a Thanos situation. They're scrambling towards the end. I mean, you get three horcruxes destroyed in a matter of like twenty minutes, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> Uh, very quick it's like if if that didn't happen that way like it would have been done you know like you got you got ron and uh, ron and hermione in the basement stabbing the chalice and then um they're going upstairs and engage nagini who then you have neville uh come in there and and slice him up with you know the the sword of godric gryffindor crab accidentally destroys the the diadem as well with the the fiend fire spell. Yeah, that's that's something they definitely overlooked in the in the movies was how well, he I mean, just they, went it happened, but they like, didn't explain. I mean, no, like there he was he was like he was trying to make Draco like a bitch, you know, like he was mm-hmm. he was like taking the leader role like really strong in the books. Very very a, sh- a very very strong shift in tone for that character, but it was kind of like a you know, he was just in over his head and, and just drunk on on authority, essentially, uh, because he was also in that little group, wasn't he? He was he wasn't like Draco wasn't the only one of them that was involved. Right. Correct. The other two friends were, were also I want to say Death Eaters, but they were involved in the whole thing. I know their parents were They're They're mentioned in Goblet of Fire, um, Crab and Goyle. Yeah, I'm looking at a post for Vincent Crab. Yeah. Under loyalty, Death Eaters is an unofficial thing so it's not known if he was an actual death eater but his parents were definitely death eaters but yeah kind of cast aside there's a whole story there with with the friends and how they kind of turn on draco because they see him as being weak and him not like fulfilling what he needs to do and all that stuff and really they they internalize that whole struggle with that character and at the end he he changes um yep you know what do you think about the whole switcheroo where he drops out of hagrid's you know hands and battle number two and i guess not even battle number two it's battle number three maybe i guess he doesn't he doesn't battle he just sits there and dies <laughs> so yep. the second main battle at hogwarts what'd you think about that i mean harry was waiting for the right moment and took a great opportunity and and did his thing after uh nagini did was wait, was nagini killed right there or did it take some time uh, he hit Nagini with the spell, which just reflected off of her, and then he ran off. And then, um, that's when N- Neville Nagini, did the thing up the stairs. Yeah, Nagini was yeah Nagini was left at that point alone uh, because Voldemort and Harry were off fighting. So Nagini was out doing you know her ratchet shit, and then yep. you know gets sliced up by Neville. Um, yep, that follows now. Yep. Yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough. That's a tough Horcrux to kill for sure. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot more flesh and bone, but you know, that's a that's a big snake. Um, yep. Yeah, Nagini Nagini bites the dust in this film for sure, which is a cool scene too for Neville, and and you know, kind of implies that he gets the girl too at the end. 
Uh, but el- what else we got? We got that fight. You know, I, I I dug it. The little CGI was was pretty wonky when they were flying around. But the last fight was really cool. Uh, I would have hit Dumbledore, or I would hit Dumbledore. I would have hit uh, Voldemort one more time when he was like turning to dust, just to make sure, you know. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, ultimately it was dumb. Or Voldemort killing himself because the the spell reflected back on him. So it's just him shriveling to well, dust at that point. Yeah, it's just, I mean, he won the he won the duel. Harry did, and uh, yeah. I'd split the wand a little bit. That was another thing, too. I was waiting for that wand to, like, explode, because the way that it looks like it cracks is like, oh, that thing's just about to fall apart. But All of the imagery in the Deathly, Hall- Deathly Hollows Part 2 is very, very good. Um, there, There's one discrepancy from the book that I was a little sad about. It's uh, it's what Harry does with the wands oh, at the end. My breaks up. Um, well, what did he do in the book? book? In the book, doesn't he repair his own wand that was broken instead of keeping, was it Malfoy's wand, which is what he does in the movie? I believe so, yeah. It's yeah, the then, only thing that can repair his wand, right? Yeah, and like I, that's what he does in the book, but I don't remember him doing that in the movie, and I'm like... No, he just snaps his wand and throws it. That's it. <laughs> he, well, he snaps the Elder Wand and never, throws it off the You never see bridge. his old wand again uh, when he is handed it in, in pieces. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's like I, I did not appreciate that. Yeah. That was like one of those things was like, oh, that's on you know, those warm and fuzzy things that, that endear well to the Harry Potter universe. I and mean, it was just like, oh you don't oh. get any any magic from Harry after that anyways, so I guess it really doesn't matter in terms of film. It it doesn't matter, but it you gotta, matters. You gotta to think me. of it you gotta think of it from like the cutting room floor type of uh you know, mindset and be like, who gives a shit? <laughs> the next time we see him well, he's gonna exactly. be he's gonna be forty years that's old and exactly he's gonna be sending his kids off, you know. Uh, it's it was but a it was a a necessary. That was a touching moment. moment, though. Yeah, yeah. And it, it would have taken what another five seconds, ten seconds of movie. Be like, oh, here I'm gonna repair my old wand. You know, I don't know. In the movies, you never got this deep connection with him and his wand to begin with. I mean, it does. You see him. You matter. see him using different wands frequently in the films, anyways. And it's like I thought there was like a big deal, you know. Well, it's because he did the, the whatever. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm just saying, like, there, there was a yeah. lot more hopping in the in the books. I don't even think in the books it was established too much that he had this, you know, because I mean, Ron snapping his and having his replaced like multiple times. I think it was. Um, yeah, because he's a dweeb. <laughs> yeah, it's just you don't really get that sense of it's like a lightsaber when you see Luke's lightsaber, you know, drop. It's like you know you feel that it's like a character yeah. being lost and. You don't really feel it when when she hands him his his wand because he just takes her wand and it's right back to business. It's like, well, shucks, now I have no wand. Now we gotta share one. It's like, okay, um, you get a you get a sense of like the magic that's behind it in the first film, but after that, it's kind of just a tool to him. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean that that is the final film, and then you get you know the the sign off with him sending his kid off to to Hogwarts, and which leads into the cursed child, which I never read. Uh, and I never yeah, saw the, the I, musical. I, I read The Cursed Child uh, shortly after it came out, but it's I only read it once because it's a screenplay book, and I, it was just really hard for me to read, so I didn't. It's like, a theatrical play it. book. It's even worse. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's for a stage play. Yeah, so it was just really hard to get into, and I just remember like struggling to get through it just with everything, and I was just like, okay, I, I did it once, and I didn't quite understand everything. 
I have like the full like the the gist of what happens, but I know I it's not a, enough to talk about any details. I know it's a role reversal story. I know that his son ends up being Slytherin, and he kind of has um, animosity towards Harry because he basically told him that he could choose, and he it didn't. It didn't let him. Um, I think Draco is a part of a different, or Draco's kid's part of a different house, and he's kind of like the popular kid and, and all that stuff. It's it's very kind of role reversal from what I what I heard and, and read, but uh, I just wasn't interested. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're actually going to skip the Fantastic Beast. We'll probably do that for like a Patreon thing. We're at like two and a half hours right now. Um, yeah. And uh, it might be closer to three hours, so... Uh, I think we'll just wrap it up here, and uh, we'll do a little extra segment someday for for Patreon for the Fantastic Beasts. Uh, my overall opinion is the first two movies are horrible. J.K. Rowling cannot write a screenplay. Um, the third <laughs> one has some other writers involved, and the pacing feels a lot better. Mads Mikkelsen is a good actor. Um, you know, it's uh, pretty strong in the romance department in regards to, like, um, Grindelwald and Dumbledore. Uh, a lot of, uh, you know... Uh, kind of intimate storyline going on with their relationship and, and the conflict. And then you get kind of a resolution to the whole um, locket where they have their blood shared and stuff like that. Um, the drama we could have talked about in, in regards to Johnny Depp and his, his recasting Ezra Miller's in this film. He's actually not that bad to be honest. Um, but to be honest, I mean, if I'm going to boil it down, you got to see them all just because of the characters that are in it. But the third one is probably the best one. Uh, it is not the last. It is not a trilogy. It's going to be like four or five films. So there's still there's still story to be told. Um, Very anything, good. Anything else you got to cap off? Anything you want to hit up before I do my little closeout? No. I mean, just in general, um, like we have these different you know fandoms, if you will, with Star Wars, Marvel, DC, Star Trek, Harry Potter, and I mean you can continue to name fandoms, but this is by far one of my most favorite fandoms. Harry Potter will always be near and dear to my heart because of, like I was talking about at the beginning, this like graduation of being able to read fully and understand things what I, that I take in. It's just such a triumph for me yeah. personally. So it, it's always going to be there for me. Yep. So they're, they're good books. Read them. Uh, they're really good audio books. Listening to them. And, uh, you know, if you, if you like the films, then maybe give them another watch. Uh, it's always it's always nice to come back, like I said, warm and fuzzy. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to go ahead and end it there. That was uh, the entirety of the original Harry Potter films. We skipped the Fantastic Beasts. We originally intended on doing it, but I don't feel like sitting here for another hour uh, talking about movies I really didn't care for. But, yeah, I'll just go ahead and segue into our, our ending uh, social plug. You can find the Nerd Chatter podcast anywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, if you want to check out our social media, it is Nerd Chatter Show at pretty much everything. Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Twitch, all that good stuff. Uh, for individuals that want to have a little bit more content, we do have that for you over at the Patreon, which is uh, Nerd Chatter. Just go ahead and search Nerd Chatter. Link is in the description below. Uh, and, you know, if you go and head on over to our Twitch channel, you can catch some of our live streams uh, where we just kind of sit around playing some nerd games or just passing some time, hanging out, chit-chatting a little bit. Uh, and that's pretty much it. So, Garrett, I want to say thank you for stopping by once again and going over some nerd stuff. My pleasure. And uh, this marks the end of our kind of catch-up segments. Uh, these are one-offs where we, we choose a topic and we were just kind of establishing where we stand as, as fans and 
our history with these properties. But uh, next week, the next show, we plan on on going into our legitimate structure for the show where we choose two to four topics and chit chat about them and try to keep it within an hour. Uh, we'll still do the free game section and and all that, but uh, we're going to be kind of splitting them up into smaller segments and, and having a good laugh at some of the news developments over the last week. So uh, we are out of here again. You guys take it easy. Appreciate it.